Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this message in our current series. Well, good morning. I do love this Sunday. I actually love the, the last couple of weeks of, of sports camps. Um, Tammy and I made it out to the sidelines for a couple of nights each week. Just, And I'm going to confess, I was partly there for selfish reasons. Our last child, no longer a child, is leaving for college in a few weeks. And I'm going through withdrawal. And and honestly, he's not in here, I don't think, so... It's not because we're going to miss him. I mean, we will, he's, he's, but he's an 18-year-old boy, um, you know. And, but I am absolutely going to miss watching him play sports on the sideline. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's just something about it. And I'm showing up at these soccer camps with kindergartners, and they're out there playing for freeze pops, most of them. Some of them were playing for the goal, though. This is the thing. When you watch it, how it kind of plays out, there's, there's, there's these little kids, and they don't know which team they're on or what sport they're playing. They're just running up and down the field. And then there's the kid who's like a borderline pro club athlete, right? And he's just like, goal! You know, he's scoring every chance he gets. And here's the thing. If you watch closely, you can tell who their parents are. Because mom and dad are like, God! You know, I mean, it's kind of, it's fun camp, so you're not supposed to get too competitive. But we're like, yeah. And I'm not hating mom and dad. I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I, I am, I, I completely confess, uh, I am that dad. Um, and uh, I got one of my, one of my daughter, my daughter, Brooke, uh, who's a college student now, uh, is here. She, she, she would hold me accountable for this. I am that dad on the sideline who's just like cheering and trying not to coach from the stands and a little bit over proud of my kid's accomplishments. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a talker, as you know. And so I'll be like, I'll be talking like about how awesome they are. And my wife will elbow me, stop it. (laughs) You can't say that. So you know what I do? I move. (laughs) It's a true story. I was thinking about this weekend. I literally move and stand by other people who will listen to me brag about my kids. I was like, I noticed like Tread. I was like thinking through this thing. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that for years. That's how I've met so many people on the sidelines. I just don't sit with my wife because she won't tolerate it. But other people, they're too nice to say, would you stop bragging about your kid? And so, man, we love, we love winning. We love watching our our kids win. And we want to win. Actually, I think it's partly that we want to win and maybe to a greater degree we don't want to lose. Those are two different things. The great theologian philosopher Larry Bird said, (laughs) I hate losing more than I love winning. 
<laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that feels true. I mean, I love winning, but man, I just don't want to lose. We've been working our way through the book of Colossians, and we come to a set of verses this week in Colossians chapter 2 that sort of line up with this, where, where, where Paul wants to kind of lean in and say, look, I know what you want. I know you want to win in life. You, you want to know, how do I overcome? How do I beat this? How do I make sure I don't lose and squander all of this? Here's how. Let me, let me read you a couple of verses and try and make that application. We pick up in verse 16, where Paul says, don't, listen, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or, or, or Sabbaths. Now, we read that and we're like, what does that have to do with, with me, right? You eat or drink or celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or, or Sabbaths. But in the culture, what was happening here is the the, the Jewish legalists in the church were, were telling people, if you really want to live the victorious life, you have to do this. You have, these are the rules. And if you'll just keep all the rules, you'll win. Just keep the rules. This rule and this rule and that rule and that rule and this rule tool and that rule and this rule and they never ran out of rules. But if you keep all of them, if you keep all of these rules and all of these rituals, then you'll win. But Paul says in the very next verse, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. In other words, Paul is saying, there is a difference between the rules and the ritual and the real thing. Don't confuse them. Don't mistake the victorious Christian life. Don't mistake the win for a rule or a list of rules or rituals because those things are just shadows. <laughs> rules and rituals aren't in and of themselves bad. They can, they can be a reflection of Christ in us. They can be a, a, a guide to, to get us to the place we want to be, but they're just shadows of the real thing. They're not the real thing. They're shadows. They're reminders. They're reflections. They're guides, but they're not the real thing. Ah, what does that mean? So my friend, uh, Dave Ripper, who's been with us a few times, he's the chaplain uh, with the Bruins and a pastor in New Hampshire. 
Dave told a story recently that I thought perfectly illustrated this. And he, I'll share it here, giving him full credit. It's his story. But he was, he was talking about how some years ago, and Dave's a pretty young guy, which I thought I was the young guy, but apparently not really, you know. Um, and he was, he said, he said a few years ago, he was newly married, and he wanted to be, uh, you know, a, a great Christian man and a Christian husband and he wanted to do all of these things so he was like determined to like live out the spiritual disciplines which included for him fasting and if you're not familiar with fasting it's the idea of giving something up usually food for a period of time to focus on what Christ is doing in your life and so he said so I was I was doing that and he said but he said I had a problem he said because in Matthew it says if you fast don't tell anyone he said, so I was practicing. I wouldn't tell anyone. He said, then I would come home and my wife had made this great meal. <sighs> what do I do? So it turns out, Dave tells a story that he was visiting uh, with a professor, Dallas Willard, who's a, a well-known author uh, who really has spoken into the spiritual disciplines. And he said, Dallas, I have a question for you. And they were sitting at lunch. He said, what should I do if I'm fasting? And I've kept it to myself because I want to be a better man, a better husband. And I go home, and my wife has made a great meal for me. What do I do? Do I eat it? Do I tell her? Do I make an excuse? And Dallas looked at him and smiled and said, Dave, you eat the meal. The ritual is just a shadow. It was just a guide to get you. The goal was that you would be a better, more loving husband. This is the real thing. Don't you just love a story that ends with dinner? <laughs> I do. I'm so glad Dallas answered that way. I'm going to tell you, if he had said, no, you don't eat the meal, I don't think I would have told you the story. <laughs> it's a shadow. It's not bad. It's just a guide. But it can't replace the real thing. And that's what Paul says next to us. In verse 20, he says, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why? Why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't, don't, don't. Such rules are mere human teaching about things that deteriorate as we use them. Then he says this. These rules may seem wise. Why do they seem wise? Because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial. That means false humility and severe bodily discipline. But 
they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Listen, these things are, they're, they're popular. Like, keep this rule, keep this rule, keep this rule. Who can do all that? Well, some of us can do more of it than others and keep this rule and keep this rule. He said, don't live that way. What do those rules do to help you to conquer the desire in you? He said, they do nothing. So why do we love rules and rituals so much? Why are we so drawn? Well, he tells us because they call on and require strong desire, bodily discipline. The more you do it, the more it says about you, right? They're the rules that say, you just gotta try harder. And the reason you're successful is because you try harder. But don't look like you're trying too hard, but try hard. You wanna be humble, but you wanna be successful. Try harder. Why do we like that? What is it about that that's so appealing to us? I have a theory. It's because of what these things say about us. I was working on this, uh, finishing it up Friday afternoon, and I was out for a walk, and uh, down uh, down uh, Surf Drive here in Falmouth, and I was I was walking along. And I had my phone in my back pocket. Right, it's my phone case. And I see this car. I'm a car guy. I see this car coming towards me, and it's low, and it's, it's, it, this one happened to be white, and it was, you could tell in the distance it was cool. And I wasn't sure how cool. So I'm looking, looking, and I'm trying to see the emblem. And as it got closer, I saw the emblem was yellow, and then I realized it was the prancing horse of a Ferrari. And, and, and just that quick, it was on me. And I found myself reaching for my phone real quick, taking a picture of it. Because I've got people I can send that to. Like, I got, I got a car people like, oh, check it out. I mean, I did. I told my son. I'm like, check out this. By the way, if that was your car, I love your car. <laughs> totally. And if you'd like to swap, I'm down for that. 100%. Why do we... Like, listen, I have a black... Toyota Highlander. I'll bet you there are five of those in the parking lot right now. Nobody ever reaches for their phone when I drive by. Oh, check out the Highlander. I mean, it's like, oh, everybody has that, but that one. You see, the popularity has something to do with the accessibility. The harder it is to get, the more it costs, the more impressive it is. Why? Well, ultimately, it says something about us. We all fall into this. And there's nothing wrong with having a logo on your shirt or on your car or anything like that. But it's a reminder that 
that those things appeal to us because they require something of us. That's what makes it so popular. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says the reason you get so wrapped up in keeping the rules is because keeping the rules says something about you. But there's a problem. It does nothing to change you. It doesn't actually change your heart or what you want. In other words, it doesn't help you with the struggle. It doesn't help you win. Did you notice what it said in verse 20? It said, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free. That's his solution. He said the solution is, is choosing between don't, don't, don't and dying. What a choice, right? The choice between don't, don't, don't and dying. And by dying, he means we surrender ourselves to him, that there's something profound that happens when I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And he comes literally to dwell in me. One of my favorite verses says, Jesus says, I will be with you and I will be in you. I always consider a follow-up to that verse, the one where he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In other words, the one who's in you is far more powerful than any rule that's put upon you. That's how he changes us when we invite him in and we surrender our lives to him, he literally transforms us from the inside out. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we get ready to close? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I just want to take a minute before we move further in the service, before we celebrate some kids and have some ice cream, to, to just invite you to reflect on what God might be doing and saying in your life. What does that look like? What does it mean? What would it look like for you to say yes to Jesus Christ, to welcome him into your life, to surrender, to say yes to his gift of salvation? And how might that be the beginning of the most incredible transformation ever. That's what he wants to do. And that's what begins the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ.
In Romans 10, it says this. When we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, it is made, it becomes the gift of salvation. So before we go any further, I don't know your story or what brought you here today or how God's been weaving in your life to get you to this point. But maybe he's been at work. And if we sat over coffee, you could tell the story. You'd say, oh, Ben, I went through this. I learned this. I remember when somebody told me about this. But here today, you, you sense Jesus Christ calling you. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to come in and dwell in you and transform you. Here's how Jesus said it. I want to give you life and life to the full. That's his plan. And so I want to invite you, if you've never taken that step, to take it today. Say yes to him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment, but I don't think there's magic words that you can repeat. I think it's faith in your heart that he hears. Here's a way you could pray. Dear Lord, you know me, everything about me. I need you. I need you in my life. I need your grace and your forgiveness. Jesus Christ, I trust you as my Savior. I believe in you. I want to give my life to you fully. I say yes to you. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name.